For the finest local and Victorian regional wine, look no further than Castlemaine Central Wine Store. They've got locally produced ciders, craft beer, plus a great range of everyday drinking wines at affordable prices. And they even sell gift vouchers. Castlemaine Central Wine Store, Littleton Street, Castlemaine. Monday to Saturday from 10.30am. A proud sponsor of 94.9 Main FM. The Quiet Carriage, 94.9 Main FM show all about books and authors, with your host, Paul J. Laverty, and proudly sponsored by Stoneman's Book Room. All aboard. Hello there, listeners, and welcome to The Quiet Carriage, 94.9 Main FM show, all about books and authors, with myself, your host, Paul J. Laverty, broadcasting from Jaja Warung country. On the show, we always try and focus on a local aspect of the publishing industry, and so later I'll be joined by Castlemaine-based author and illustrator, Trace Baller, to help celebrate the release of her graphic novel, The Heart of the Bubble. And first up, we focus on an author of a new book, and today it's The Fogging, out now via Scribe Publications and written by Luke Horton. And first we'll read a little bit about the novel itself, The Fogging. A compelling tale of the slow disintegration of a relationship and the unraveling of a man. Tom and Clara are two struggling academics in their mid-thirties, who decide to take their first holiday in ten years. On the flight over to Indonesia, Tom experiences a debilitating panic attack, something he hasn't had in a long time, which he keeps hidden from Clara. At the resort, they meet Madeleine, a charismatic French woman, her Australian partner, Jeremy, and five-year-old son, Ollie, and the two couples strike up an easy friendship. The holiday starts to look up, even to Tom, who is struggling to get out of his own head. But then Clara and Madeleine become trapped in the maze-like grounds of the hotel during the fogging, a routine spraying of pesticide. The dynamics suddenly shift between Tom and Clara, and the atmosphere of the holiday darkens. Told with equal parts compassion and irony, and brimming with observations that charm, illuminate, and devastate, the fogging dives deep into what it means to be strong when your foundation is built on sand. And here's a little bit about the author Luke Horton. Luke Horton's writing has appeared in various publications, including The Guardian, The Saturday Paper, and The Australian, and was shortlisted for the Viva la Novella Prize. The former editor of the Lifted Brow Review of Books, he currently teaches creative writing at RMIT and is a member of acclaimed indie rock band Love of Diagrams. The Fogging is his debut novel and was highly commended for the Victorian Premier's Award for an unpublished manuscript in 2019. And I was lucky enough to be joined by Luke Horton on the line recently. Luke Horton, thank you for coming on The Quiet Carriage and congratulations on your your debut novel, The Fogging, which is out now via Scribe. Thank you, Paul. Thank you for having me. (laughs) No worries at all. Now, I'm going to throw something at you here. You won't remember me, but I'm a big fan of your band, Love of Diagrams. And also, you were actually my tutor back in, I looked this up, 2010. It was for a US history unit at University of Melbourne. I think it might have been the early US history from the War of Independence to 1900. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was just... A face in the crowd. <laughs> now, that's interesting. Yeah, I haven't taught American history for a long time now. Um, but, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I was um, yeah, I was at Melbourne Uni for a while. I did a PhD there and and was, right. yeah, I was thinking I was going to be a historian for a while. And then I um, yeah, right. sort of changed tack and went back and did some more study at RMIT and started concentrating on writing other things. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so when I saw this book, it immediately stood out for me that as well as how it's set in Bali 
because I grew up mm-hmm. in Perth. So being from Perth, Bali's like a second home for us over there. Oh, really? So mm-hmm. I'm just interested, where did this story come from? Um, yeah, so the sort of central incident that happens in, this, in the book, um, in the Bali um, section of the novel, Which is, is the- kind of a, a second... Um, strain or sort of backstory that's also threaded through but yeah the main sort of um present day story that's set in bali is about the yeah these two academics Mm -hmm. that go on holiday there um and they get stuck in this um spraying of pesticides through the hotel grounds that um resorts do over there um and they do that throughout pacific and various places and Mm -hmm. they spray pesticides through the hotel grounds to you know kill off uh, mosquitoes and mm-hmm. spiders and things like that um and they do it pretty routinely and um it uh yeah just it's just you know it drifts off into the air and yeah. clears pretty quickly and hotel guests are just expected i guess not to be in the hotel grounds when it happens but um so and then in the book um uh, clara um one of the main characters mm-hmm. gets caught in the hotel grounds while they're spraying the pesticides and it's kind of a hor- horrific traumatic moment for her because yeah. she's stuck in the hotel room and it's coming in the door and through the louvers of the bathroom windows and she gets caught in it outside and can't see and doesn't know where she's going and um something a bit like that actually happened to me and my partner right. when we were in bali about five or six years ago and um and it just struck me as a great um idea to build a story around an incident like that um, so I guess, yeah, the, the genesis of it is, is, um, is, uh, something that happened in real life. Right. But then I, um, yeah, so I thought that'd be a really interesting way to explore the kind of many layers to traveling to places like that and holidaying in places like that. And the kind of, you know, the, the facade of paradise and then this sort of, um, the other side of that and what, what they need to do to kind of create that, um, fantasy of paradise to keep it like that for western tourists yeah and also to just explore what an incident like that might um how it might figure in the life of a couple of characters and then yeah sort of went from there and created fictional characters around that incident but that's sort of where yeah. it comes from yeah it's, it's very realistic I, I find it very brave and a, a real brave portrayal of of modern 21st century man you know, because you cover yes. anxiety, depression, even things like uncertain work situations as well. And it sort of taps into sort of the changing role of society of man today. So I think it really hit home. And there's not too many portrayals of that being published at the moment. And I know a lot of people who, who share elements of, of the main character, Tom. Is mm-hmm. the character set upon yourself or, or someone you know? Yeah, I mean... To some degree, I guess, um, you know, uh, there's a sort of autobiographical element to most fiction writing and you and you draw on people around you and you draw on your own experiences. And as I said, I guess, you know, it's it's based on a sort of incident that, um, that happened to us. And then for me, it was kind of fun to, yeah, try and make up fictional characters that this kind of, this might have happened to and who might mm-hmm. they be and how might it affect their lives and all of that. And um but of course, you still, you know, it's my first novel, and um, first novels is kind of notoriously um, the one that's a, that are um, thinly veiled autobiography. But um, so there's elements of Tom certainly that are drawn from my own experience mm-hmm. and my own character. I mean, I think I tried because it was based on a um, on an incident that actually happened to us. I think I tried extra hard to make sure everybody in the book was fictional. Um, the partner Clara is definitely not my partner, and I'm definitely not Tom. Mm-hmm. And they meet some friend, um, some people over there, and I made sure that they're not too close to anybody yeah. I know, and yeah. all of that. You do all of that, and yet, you know, your friends and your family, of course, see um, various elements of the characters in you, and and you know your loved ones as well. Yeah. You can't help that people try recognizing themselves. Oh my God, is that me? And all of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, in important ways um i drew on my own experiences with tom as you said before you know you knew me as a um 
a tutor as an academic, and Tom mm-hmm. is a sessional teacher, an academic at university, living precariously uh, with casual sessional teaching yes. work. And um, I lived that life for many years, and I guess to some degree I still am. Um, and he suffers from anxiety, and um, you know I've suffered with, from anxiety um, myself. So that uh, certainly drew my own experiences describing describing that. And yet, Tom is not yeah is not me. And I found it kind of yeah. I mean, it was obviously sort of exciting and fun to try and create completely fictional characters and he he kind of evolved um quite naturally out of the writing i guess mm-hmm. and uh, i sort of figured out who he was going to be and i figured out who he was going to be and who clara was going to be sort of together and how mm. they would work together and how they would maybe not work together um importantly because they don't in many ways mm. and um yeah so it was kind of an evolution of character that took a while and he sort of changed over time at one time he was sort of a more sympathetic um more straightforwardly likable kind of character and then i think maybe i went the other way and maybe made him too unlikable or uh yeah and then so he sort of he sort of changed as you add things to a book you know every new scene that you write does can change people's perceptions of character so you 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 know you only have to introduce a one more uh, one little scene where they say something um, important and all of a sudden that you can give quite a different impression about a character so um, you know I wrote a lot more than the actual book I guess like most writers and you then you throw out a lot of it um, but I had a you know a whole childhood section about Tom and I had a lot more of him in there and then cut it back but um, I guess what I was going for with him was I don't I didn't mind if he wasn't entirely likable or wholly, yeah, sympathetic, but I wanted him to feel real, um, and and I, wa- I was quite happy if readers had conflicting feelings about him, mm-hmm. if they could sort of sit with having, um, you know, both empathy and sympathy for him, but also I, I didn't mind if they found him very frustrating as mm-hmm. a character, and I would expect that because he isn't, he is a flawed character. Yes. Um, I didn't, I didn't want to have someone who was just sort of a nice guy who was a victim, and I didn't. On the other hand, I didn't want to make overtly just a, a straight out, um, you know, asshole or, or you know, an, an awful, awful man. Um, I wanted him to be flawed, but um, perhaps in some ways doing his best under the circumstances. Um, but somebody that probably needs um, help mm. um, and isn't helping himself by not talking to anybody about his problems. Yeah. I guess, yeah.
That was Tess Parks there with her track, Gates of Broadway. And now we return to my interview with the author, Luke Horton. What was the attraction with Bali, with setting the story there? Mm. Um, well, in some ways, because that incident happened to us in real life, I was, you know, that gave me a setting to play with. I don't know if I would have of um, decided to write a story set there if that hadn't happened. But then as soon as I thought, you know, it occurred to me that that was a good idea for a story and it started out as a short story idea. Um, I just realized, you know, how, you know, because I've, I've been there, you know, only a couple of times in my life, but I just, what a fascinating subject it is because it has those layers to it and because there's... Um, it's almost an extension of Australia, you know. People take it so for granted that they can go to Bali um, every winter for holidays. Um, it's so overrun with <laughs> Australians. Um, and yet it is a completely different country with a completely different culture. And, um, you know, and, and as I said, I guess before, it's got that, you know, it's got that paradise that is, is you know, completely caters to our every whim as Westerners. Um, and yet for them to sort of maintain that facade of the paradise, they have to do all these things to the country to, to, to keep that up. Um, and, you know, in some, it's just that I think as a writer, you're always looking for a topic or a subject that is complex and mm-hmm. has many layers to it. And I think that's the case with that kind of tourism. You know, you go there and it's, it's an ambivalent experience because it's so beautiful and the people are so wonderful and yet you can never not be conscious of your um, privilege Mm. um, and of your you know how rich you are compared to the people there and how your presence there is both their livelihood and on the other hand you know kind of um, contributing to destroying the natural beauty of the place Um, and you know there's this rubbish being swept under the sand and stuff and so as a writer that just seems like a really rich um you know, subject to be exploring and and particularly to have characters like Tom and Clara university educated like very um, conscious of the colonial kind of context mm. to it and made pretty uncomfortable by the power dynamics of being weighted on by the locals in Bali and being broke academics back yeah. in Melbourne but being extremely rich westerners once they get to Bali and all yes. of that just seemed like a really um interesting thing to explore in fiction yes yes i agree is it fair to say that this book has been a long time coming for you i mean has there been false starts do you have a drawer full of manuscripts what's the story there yeah i mean i mean yes and no i mean obviously yes on one level because um as, uh, as we've said, you know, I started, uh, I was, I've uh, been a bookseller for a long time mm-hmm. and I was an academic for quite a while. I wrote a history PhD right. before starting to take my fiction more seriously. But, you know, my, and my parents um, always had bookshops. So I grew up in bookshops mm. and um, uh, my parents had a bookshop in Melbourne for a while. Um, but before that, they had books, bookshops in regional New South Wales. Um, right. And so... Yeah, and so I was always reading and always trying to write. Um, but then, yeah, so I guess music became a big preoccupation with mine as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that took up a lot of my time and creative. It was like my major creative creative outlet, I guess, while I was studying and then doing my history PhD. Um, but, you yeah, know, there was attempts to write fiction throughout all my 20s, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't ever take it that seriously and i wish i had but um yeah and then there was sort of a moment after writing the history phd where i was um i realized i didn't necessarily want to turn that phd into an academic book and i wasn't sure if teaching history was what i wanted to do and i went back to um RMIT and did an associate degree in professional writing and editing, right. which is where I am now teaching. And um, and that was a great experience. You know, you're just workshopping fiction every week and getting all this feedback from students, from your fellow students. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when I started. I thought I was going to do that course to become an editor. I thought I was interested in editing. And I, ha- I did become an editor afterwards. I edited the um, Lifted Brow Review of Books. Right. I've done 
various other editing jobs. But yeah, I love the writing side of it as much. And all of a sudden, I was doing really well with the fiction, and people were really responding to what I was writing. And it was kind of this moment I was like, oh, you know, maybe I'm not bad at this. I just haven't been um, working hard enough <laughs> at it. Um, and that that was the start, I guess, of the process. And then there was, um, yeah, there was a novella that got shortlisted for a prize a couple right. of years before this novel. And then then this novel sort of took over. So it's been, I guess, three to four years for this book. But it's always very hard to say, really, because some of the some of the earliest parts stretch quite a long time back. But mm. you know. In terms of working properly on it, there was probably like a two to three year period where I was working quite hard on it. Right. But um, yeah. Okay. And what's the journey been like in getting this published? Yeah. Well, it's been. I've been incredibly lucky. I mean, I um, I submitted the manuscript to the Victorian Premier's Literary Award. Mm-hmm. Um, they have an unpublished manuscript award. Um, uh, every year, which is a really great um, prize. I really encourage um, writers to submit to it because it's for an unpublished manuscript. Um, and, yeah, so I sort of used that um, deadline um, as a deadline to get to sort of finish my draft by, I can't remember when it was, October, November, something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I wrote, you know, like, I, it was sort of, an, maybe it was a short story or a novella bef- the year before, and I sort of went, okay, I've got a year to get it in for this prize, and I'm going to turn this into a novel, and that's what I did. And so I submitted for that prize, and it was kind of a baggy novel. It wasn't um, it wasn't fully realized. I think I knew that, mm-hmm. but I'd also worked on it pretty hard and thought there was something there. And then, um, yeah, and so then I was highly commended for that prize. So they have, you know, a winner and a shortlist and, and some highly, uh, if they want, they can highly commend some books, uh, manuscripts, and they did with mine. Um, and then because it's a prestigious prize, I had um, dozens of emails from editors and publishers wanting to read the manuscript within a week of winning that prize. Wow. I mean, <laughs> being highly commended for that prize. And so... Um, yeah, so that was an incredibly lucky thing, and then, and then it was meeting with editors, and 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 I got an agent around that time, uh, after because of that as well, and um, and then it was talking to different editors and uh-huh. and finding the right fit for me, and and finding the right person who could see, who could sort of help me make it the best book it could be. I right. guess at that point it was. Yeah, I, I had stopped. I couldn't really see the wood for the trees. I couldn't see what were the good bits and the, what were the strengths and weaknesses by that point. So it was good to have, at, at that point, someone else to come in. Yes. And yeah, I met Anna at, Anna at Scribe, and she um, we just got along really well, and her thoughts about the book were really in line with mine, and she was just incredibly enthusiastic and encouraging. Um, and yeah, and so then we spent the next year sort of doing drafts back and forth. So, right. Yeah. And how are you finding the life of being a published author and doing interviews like this? Has it, <laughs> has it changed much? Um, it's great. I mean, it's, I mean, I, the, it's so hard to know. I mean, putting a book out in, in under a pandemic as well, of course, yes. that's another very bizarre layer to everything. Yeah. Um, but you know, um, the experience of being a debut author, novelist, having your book come out is a pretty bizarre one anyway. So uh-huh. it's hard to know um, what you know how I'm feeling about it, if it's just the usual experience of a debut author or because everything's so weird now. But um, it's been a really, I mean, you just can't know how well a book is going to go or yeah. you know how it's going to be received, and especially a debut author. I mean, I was... Um, completely unknown in terms of my fiction. Mm-hmm. No, I hadn't published short stories and literary journals. I had sort of zero profile. Right. Um, you know, so no one had read my fiction before. So there wasn't any kind of eager re- readership out there waiting for my novel to um, come out. Um, so, you know, you can't um, hope for too much. But mm-hmm. I guess the short answer is that I've just been very, um, very, like, uh, um, touched, I guess, by how 
how well the book's been received and how much response I've got from it. It's been so well, so well reviewed by so many That's great. places and, and pe- writers I really admire have said lovely things about it and given me great endorsements and things. And so I couldn't be happier with the way it's been received and, and all of that, um, which makes, yeah, I guess, as you asked, you know, um, makes the experience of being a debut author just like a really lovely one after three or four years of sort of solitary hard work i've mm. had this really lovely um month or so of um of really nice attention on the book and really thoughtful engagements with with the book and the subject matter of it and everything so yeah i've That's been really wonderful. enjoying it i haven't been able to see anybody in person had a <laughs> online book launch and everything yeah. but um all considering it's been great Luke Horton's band, Love of Diagrams, with their track, The Pyramid. And now we'll return to my interview with Luke, speaking about his debut novel, The Fogging. And what about music for you? Is that on the back burner for, for good or just for now? Yeah, um, no, no, not really. I mean, it's there. I've got, I'm looking at, I'm standing in my lounge room now looking at a mess of chords and amps and guitars. Right. In the um, <laughs> so I brought all that stuff out recently, but... Um, yeah, I mean, me and my partner, we had a, a baby about three years, three and a half years ago, mm-hmm. um, and we were just both busy with other things, her art and, and me writing this book and, and being parents, and so that made music even harder to do for a while. But we certainly, like, Love of Diagrams never broke up or anything, and we always have the intention of getting together and... and you know, writing some of these songs. And so I've been sort of tinkering with stuff recently right. with an idea of maybe we might do something like that in the future. But it's just time, and it's mm-hmm. just finding it um, time to do it around other things. Um, Especially with a little one, yeah. 
of course. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. interested as well. What what sort of books have brought you here? What are the what are the say your favorite books that have led you to to writing the fogging? Yeah, well, I've been asked this question a few times and it's difficult in a way because when you do write something, you know, it takes three years or whatever to write, you know, you're reading lots of different stuff um, over that time and everything you read to some degree kind of influences your decisions about the book in, in, um, in positive and negative ways. But um, yeah, so there's a couple of books I did come back to a few times or reread while I was writing it which i guess means they were more influential than uh-huh. others um there's one by a guy um a writer i like a lot peter stam who is okay. a um i think he's swiss mm-hmm. or german writer um and he wrote a great novel called seven um years seven years which is a great um and his short stories are fantastic as well he writes these great um stories this great mood a kind of sense of unease that permeates everything he does he's really great at creating mood um and he often has male protagonists who are not necessarily likable or sympathetic characters but are somehow compelling and um seven years is a great book like that about a long-term right. relationship okay. as well and i guess that's something i was exploring in my book mm-hmm. was a, a long-term relationship and how to sort of do that in a novel um so he was somebody james salter yes. um, james salter's light years was a book i read during that period and again he um that book is about a, a long-term relationship, mm-hmm. a much longer one. It's about a whole life of these um, two people and, and just sort of shown in these little episodes all the way through their lives. Um, and I love that book. And that was a, a great book to read, to think about how to how to span a lot of time and how to show the dynamics in a relationship that has lasted for a long, long time. Yeah. I also really loved reading... Um, Michelle de Kretz's work during that period as well. Right. I think one thing I um, was struggling with but sort of thinking about was, was sort of tone and register. And I really like the way that Michelle de Kretzer has a kind of, at times it veers into kind of satire and other times you're not quite sure if it's satire, if it's something more sober or earnest. Mm-hmm. It's got this kind of lightly ironic tone, which I like a lot in fiction. And um, I like the way you weren't quite sure when you read her work, you know, is she um, satirizing these people <laughs> or not? Um, and I think I wanted to play with that kind of tone in my writing a little bit, have, um, have a sense where readers, um, you know, I think it'd be, it's very easy to kind of just satirize people and make fun of people, and, and you could just go that way, and it could be very easy to do that. But I wanted to pull back on that and kind of restrain that. Um, so I like, yeah, I think I was gravitating to that kind of complexity in writing. So right. she's someone I like. Anita Bruckner is someone I read a few books of okay. in a row, and I think she's great on that kind of lightly ironic tone. But she really analyzes her characters are really great notices are really good observers of other people um and there is kind of a lightly ironic tone to it but there's also great moments of insight um to the people around her and i guess i wanted to do that with tom Mm -hmm. um, have him have him kind of obsessively observing everybody around him Mm -hmm. um yeah so i mean i could keep going (laughs) there's some books that come to mind yeah and what can we expect next from you? Are you are you working on anything at the moment? Yeah, I've sort of. I mean, after I finished this, I kind of gave myself a break, <laughs> and and was uh, you know I guess it was around about a few months ago. I was still working on a book until mm-hmm. a few months ago, and you know I kind of thought, uh, well, I was busy teaching and doing other things, and so I didn't jump straight into something else. That's and kind of thought, well, you know. You don't need to. You've got a book coming out. Yeah. Uh, and then it seemed like it had been a little while and I hadn't written anything. So I sort of started getting back into the discipline of just writing once, at least once a week, having a writing day or a couple of afternoons. Mm-hmm. Um, and so something is starting to form out of that. But it feels very, very early days at the moment. But I, I do feel like I'm 
I think I was on the verge of having writer's block, and I think I'm sort of pushing myself out of that and starting on something new now. Right. Yeah, so that feels good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, we look forward to that. Um, We're going to have to leave it there. Luke Horton, thank you so much for coming on to The Quiet Carriage. Your book is The Fogging Out Now via Scribe. Could you leave us with a song choice? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I think uh, as I was telling you off air, um, I'm putting together a playlist right now for the the novel for Scribe. Um, he will put it up on their website or wherever. Such a fun um, part, such a fun thing to do. Yeah, really, yeah. So it's been a fun thing to do. It's yeah. hard because you want it to work as a playlist of music as well. And I've set myself the challenge of making the music um, the songs kind of follow the action of the novel, right, which might have been too ambitious. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so um, on that note, um, the Pixies Into the White is the song that um, I chose for the fogging scene in the book. Um, and it's a B-side um, that was on a couple, it's been on a couple of compilations. There's a couple of versions. I think the live version is perhaps a superior one, but there's still a really good uh, B-side on, I think, the compilation, Death to the Pixies. Yes. But, um, yeah, that's the song I chose to sort of represent the um, pivotal scene in the book of The Fogging. So maybe Great. that would be the choice. I've never played the Pixies on the show, so this is a good excuse. Luke Horton, cool. thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me, Paul. It's been great to talk to you.
on their planned film screenings until further notice. But Tasty Pizzas are still available for pickup and home delivery from Wednesday through to Sunday, 4 till 8pm. Phone 54721196 to order. And the Takeaway Cafe continues to serve great coffee and delicious pastries, Saturday and Sunday, 9 till 12. The Theatre Royal, main FM sponsor. Hi, I'm Marie Edwards, your State Member of Parliament for Bendigo West. Castlemaine and District, including Campbell's Creek, Newstead, Malden, Tewton and Harcourt are important parts of my electorate. If you have any questions or anything you wish to discuss that concerns the State Government, I'm here to help. Please phone 5410 for an appointment. Spoken and authorised by M. Edwards, 16 Lockwood Road, Kangaroo Flat, funded from Parliamentary Budget. Marie Edwards, supporting Main FM. You are listening to The Quiet Carriage on 94.9 Main FM. And there we heard Into the White by the Pixies, which was author Luke Horton's selection. Luke was my guest there talking about his debut novel, The Fogging, out now via Scribe Publications. Let's turn to something something local now and something COVID-related and something a bit uplifting in terms of the pandemic Trace Bala is a local author and illustrator with a whole list of titles under her belt, many of which have been traditionally published through Allen and Unwin. Her latest novel, she's self-published. It's called The Heart of the Bubble, and you can buy it from her website, which is traceballa.yolasite.com. And I spoke to her on the phone recently about it. Trace Bala, thank you so much for joining me today on The Quiet Carriage to talk about your new graphic novel, the heart of the bubble. Oh, that's a pleasure. I'm in my bubble right now, and it's very hearty. So am I, and I'm kind of kind of enjoying it. A lot of people aren't enjoying this time, but I'm one of the people that actually, I don't mind it. I don't mind it too much. I'm not saying I want it to be like this forever, but for now, it's it's been okay. Yeah, good to hear. Yeah. What, what amazed me about this book was how quickly... You wrote this, and drew this, and released this all in July. How how did this come about? Uh, well, it's just been such an incredibly um, interesting time. Mm. Sorry, the train in my phone. <laughs> uh, it's been such an interesting time, um, you know, for all of us, and my work is really to talk to kids through my books and I I guess it felt really important to talk to kids now because um, you know I don't know that there's much for them at the moment yep yeah I, I loved your story because it was a real, you know, it's quite a, a depressing time this time for a lot of people, but I find your story so uplifting and I love the posi- positivity and I guess the theme is that a lot of good stuff can come out of corona. How confident are you that, that this will be the case? Well, it's so mixed, of course. Um, and I think for me, it, it was really like showing that there are other ways of looking at things. Um, and even 
like people forget that the sun rises every morning and so if we're not watching screens so late at night we can get up in the morning and, and look at the sunrise and and there's just this beautiful miracle going on every day so I guess it's about people getting more in touch with what we do have and what we can do and what's right here exactly yeah without denying you know that what is actually going on is hugely difficult yeah yeah i guess it's all about making the most out of a a bad situation we see in the book you know spending more time with your family cooking more getting to know your neighbors getting closer to nature i really i love that aspect and how you how you portrayed that in your book yes well it's been happening in my life i've certainly met more people in my neighborhood and been spending more time in the garden and and just wanted to, you know, point that out to people that were maybe feeling um, a lot of struggle at the moment, that there are little bits of gold all along the way. Yeah, exactly, exactly. The book is uh, self-published, but you've been published traditionally a few times before with Alan and Unwin. Did you think about approaching the majors for this? Yes, well, I asked Alan and Unwin, who have been my publisher for quite a few years now, mm. and and what happens is the books with them take quite a long time to actually get out, mm. and it felt important to get this book out to be read now, yep. and so um, they suggested that I self-publish and that's been a very challenging thing to do. I didn't realise how um, complex that was Yeah. and I'm sort of waiting in paperwork but at the same time I really love sending off books to people. I like actually putting them in the envelope and imagining where they're going and I, I put some nice little sort of doodles on some of the envelopes. It just, yeah, that bit of it feels really nice. That's great. And I having got myself a different, I've sort of adjusted my work life, I guess. Yeah, that's great. And the freedom that gives you as well, as well, is, is pretty, pretty liberating, I find, through self-publishing. Did you, did you yeah, manage? Yeah, there is a, an aspect of liberating and also it, it does make me think, oh, I could make some other books on my own while I'm waiting for my publisher that I really am so grateful to be with even more now, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, a combination seems like a good way forward for me. Yeah. Did you manage to do a launch at all? Uh, no, there's no launch for this. And my last book uh, that I spent three years on, um, Landing with Wings, was due to be launched the week of uh, the first shutdown or lockdown. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, it was unfortunate I... I didn't launch that one either, although, you know, it is flying out there and I just think the main thing is to get it in the hands of the readers so it gets into their hearts. Yeah. yeah, it's been such a tough year with people with books coming out and with launches cancelled and libraries as well being closed as well. It's been it's been very, very challenging. What's the... Yeah, normally I'd be going into... Oh, I had like 30 schools booked for my oh, last jeez. To go in and, and do talks and activities. But I've been doing a bit online and just, you know, making the most of the situation. It's actually easier for me than a lot of people because I work from home anyway. Yes. So. Yeah, right. What's the reception been for the, for the book? Well, I've had a really lovely response, especially from kids. <laughs> I <laughs> met a little girl yesterday waiting in her car and I said, oh, are you okay waiting? And I said, yeah, I'm reading your book. I've read it five times. And I just love it because it's sort of like what's going on for me. Yeah. And, it, and kids have been getting ideas from the book that um, have inspired them to do some of the things that, it, you know, the nicer things in the book. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I've been getting some really nice sort of fan mail, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that that's really helps keep me going I guess. yeah i love some of the would we would we call them um teaching materials at the back of the book as well that ask you questions about the book and your own experience in corona 
I think that was a that was a fabulous idea to do that because it means that you can sit with your child and sort of really sort of delve into the book and, and share your own experiences with them regarding Corona. I really liked that. I thought that was very different, but I, I definitely yeah, enjoyed that. Yeah, and I was really aware that there's a lot of kids um, homeschooling anyway or yes. homeschooling because of this and to make a bit of, you know, ease for the teachers who are really doing it tough and for the parents, as well as... Um, there's a woman called Joanna Macy who teaches uh, a deep ecology process where you ask questions. They're really like sort of ending sentences, open sentences. Yeah. And I used her um, technique with the teacher notes just to kind of reach into a deeper uh, soul level with the questions, although they're not really questions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Are you you're Castlemaine based, correct? Yeah, I live yeah. right here in Jadron country and I can ride my bike right into the centre of town. That's great. How, how long have you been here for? Uh, around 10 years. And before that, I've been living all over the place, but originally yeah. from the city. So, yeah. yeah, I have some feeling of living in the city in an apartment that the main characters in the story do. Yes, yeah. Do you find um, this area influences your work and has done over the past 10 years? Yes, well, certainly my book before this one was set right here. Um, and then this book, it's it's very much about the nature connection that you can find just wherever you go. And, and for me, it is here. So it's sort of more of a universal um, connection in this book than most of my books. Mm-hmm. Great. So the graphic novel itself is called The Heart of the Bubble. It's available at Stoneman's. Is it available anywhere else to buy? Uh, I'm not really selling it in the shops at the moment mm-hmm. because not many people are shopping. Mm-hmm. But if you go to my website, um, traceballer.yola site, um, you'll find it there. You could probably Google it. And yes. You'll find it too. Yeah. YolaSite.com. Brilliant. And if you go on your website, it's all details as well about all your other releases. Trace, thank you so much for writing this fabulous book and for chatting to us today on The Quiet Couch. And I hope it does. I hope it does really well because it definitely deserves to. Yeah, I just um, hope that it gets into the hands of a lot of kids at the moment because I think, you know, it's a good... Uh, stepping stone for them to be thinking in another way exactly we need some good news and we need some uplifting stories about this weird times particularly particularly children i think yeah thank you so much today for talking to us trace yeah thank you no agenda music interviews mostly music Saturdays, noon until 2pm on 94.9 Main FM. Make it your soundtrack for Saturday. I like to move it, move it. I like to move it, move it. Moving can be stressful, but at Stressless Moves, we move your belongings like they're our own and can professionally pack and unpack your cartons. Stressless Moves offers door-to-door service locally or interstate. We do a weekly run to Melbourne with single items or a whole truckload. Leave the stress of moving to us. Call Jessica or Donna on 0427 046 001 for an obligation-free quote on your next move. Stresslessmoves.com.au, a proud sponsor of Main FM. That is all we have time for today on 94.9 Main FM's The Quiet Carriage. A big thank you to my guests, Luke Horton, and also to Trace Baller, who was there talking about her new graphic novel, The Heart of the Bubble. I've been Paul J. Laverty. I'm across all the socials. This has been The Quiet Carriage, and we're on Fridays at 1pm, and all episodes are available on Spotify. I'm going to leave you now with Bad Bad Not Good with their song Fall in Love. Until next time, keep safe, keep well, and keep reading.